0: Welcome to Rock and Roll High School, in-depth, personal conversations with the most legendary figures in the history of contemporary music. Come with us as we explore the stories behind the albums and songs that have become the soundtrack of our lives. Here's your host, Pete Ganbar. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Rock and Roll High School. Our guest this week is one of the most iconic songwriters of all time, Paul Williams, Paul's songs are known all over the world and have been part of the cultural fabric since the late 1960s. Songs like We've Only Just Begun, Rainy Days and Mondays, You and Me Against the World, an old-fashioned love song, Evergreen, the love theme from A Star is Born, and The Rainbow Connection are just some of Paul's well-known hit songs. Paul's songs have been recorded by artists as diverse as The Carpenters, Barbara Streisand, Ella Fitzgerald, Ray Charles. Frank Sinatra, Daft Punk, and even Kermit the Frog. Paul was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2006 and received that organization's highest honor, the Johnny Mercer Award, in 2022. His work as a songwriter's advocate is well known, and he served as president and chairman of ASCAP since 2009. He's also well known as an actor, having performed in movies like Smokey and the Bandit and Phantom of the Paradise, and TV shows like The Odd Couple, The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and The Love Boat, to which he also wrote that show's iconic theme song. Paul recently joined us in person in the Atlantic Records studios in New York for an in-depth conversation about his life and career.
1: What i got used to call the blues. Nothing is really wrong Feeling like I don't belong, walking around, some kind of lonely cloud. Rainy days and Mondays always get me
0: down. Hi everyone, welcome to Rock and Roll High School. I am so thrilled to be sitting here today, literally sitting here today. Inches away from our guest, the esteemed Paul Williams. Good morning, will, Paul.
1: My world has improved as soon as I realize where I am. Thanks, Pete.
0: <laughs> Wait a minute. Yay. You know, it's, we're recording this in the Atlantic Recording Studios in New York City. You live in California, so, apologies for the thirty-degree weather outside today.
1: Well, I'm in New York every month, and, and uh, but that hasn't changed the fact that I whimper when if the temperature gets below my age, I begin to I begin to get a little nervous. <laughs> and anything in in the forties and below, I, I you can hear me whining in the next county. So, but yeah, no, I, the fact is, what I love is is the biblical weather when it hits when people are going, oh my god, because there's a major storm hitting. We don't get biblical weather in California. Right. I, you know, I like a little drama like that. <laughs> I like how I can visit the drama and then go back to Huntington Beach you know, or to, to Taos, New Mexico, where my brother left. Right. His beautiful
0: home. Right. That's gorgeous. Um, we can talk about your brothers in a second. But before we get into the meat of the conversation, even though— you weren't in New York a few weeks ago. I saw you in New York a few weeks ago. I went to a Portugal The Man concert at Radio City Music Hall. And the first thing that I saw when I walked into the room, into the, um, you know, in, into the the uh, concert hall there was your face on a very larger-than-life video screen. I don't know what you were doing there, but you were talking. You <laughs> the, the video was going in and out. So there's this beautiful relationship that's happened between you and John Gorley and, and Portugal, the man, over the last few years. It was so great to see you at Radio City, even though you weren't there in person.
1: You know, uh, John Gorley is is, uh, and Portugal the man have been an incredibly Im- important influence in in the I think the way I write. Wow! I think that the way I live and the, you know, kind of living in the moment and, and being joyful and and trusting in in the, in the big amigo and creativity as, you know, there's a great expression and to be a real really, to be a hollow bone to be just open to whatever passes through you and trust that it's it, if it's good for the rest of the world, it's going to be great. There's something about about Portugal, the man, that is just, you know, it's not that we've dropped the rules and walked away from the craft of songwriting and verse, verse, free chorus, chorus but there is there is a freedom and uh, an energy that Gourley and, and crew have that has just been infectious. And I really do well when I feel like I'm loved. And I walked into that. You know, it happened with Henson. It happened. There've been certain people through the through the years. And there's and incidentally, that's just kind of a Max Headroom thing. We that John wanted right. to do. It basically it's just have me sort of as this video presence that sort of comes in and out. And and he you know say what you want to to the audience. The general <laughs> direct. The only direction was like you know like please feel free to be insulting you know, so so i mean i i i say the things that most people don't say about themselves on, on stage he, at his direction I, I mean, one of the things i say is yes you're going to hear the only one of his songs you actually know <laughs> right. and uh, uh, i just think that they're a, a creative force i think they're i think they're an important uh musical statement
0: well there're not many creators who can go from karen carpenter to Kermit the frog to Portugal, the Man, and Daft Punk, and you are now in your seventh decade as a creator. If I got the math right, yeah. and you know, it's it's amazing that you're still as one inspired and two inspiring. You know, there's that great quote. That I'm not sure if it was in the acceptance speech at the Grammys with Daft Punk or you gave it at at another time. But when you said you got sober and started to hear from robots, I I Uh, love that quote.
1: Yeah, I said, you know, know, when I was drinking, I used to see things that weren't there. It frightened me. But then I got sober, and two robots asked me if I wanted to make an album. (laughs) So truth is stranger than fiction. Yeah, it's. it's, uh, You know what's interesting about the whole thing with Daft Punk and and. is that that relationship is based on a, on Phantom of the Paradise, which was a total ignored by the world in 1974. I mean, and and I don't know when those, the guys were born, but, but you know, the, the, I don't know. The, it, it was it was just remarkable that in two cities the, the picture did well, and one of them was Winnipeg, Canada. God bless the Peggers, and in Paris. And I think that if Phantom of the Paradise had been successful at all. Even a little success, it would have disappeared. But because it was such a blatant, you know, uh, uh, you know, crickets, crickets, crickets. I think the people that loved it were out there broadcasting the news that you got to see this. You got so this—it's a success that the people that love the picture own. And these two guys met, and, and they saw, the, saw it like twenty times. <laughs> and uh, it's what you call a cult classic. A, a cult classic. And when they reached out and said, "You know, we'd like to like to do something with you," it was one of those great moments where I mean, I, it feels like at least for the last thirty-three years, because which is how exactly how long I've been sober, I haven't chased anything. But it's but all come to I, you. I, I just I. So I get up in the morning and I go. Leave me where you need me. <laughs> right. Surprise me, big amigo. Right. You know, it's to, we do it one day at a time. This is my birthday. This, <laughs> you know, what you got for me today? What you? What do you have in this day from me? Not necessarily for me. And it always leads to something for me.
0: And does that keep you inspired? Absolutely. Well, yeah, but
1: people do. I mean, Pete, I sat down here and the first thing I started talking about was, Ham- was You know, was Dear Evan and your, your involvement in that and Hamilton. That's all the credits you need right, right. there. How many people do you inspire with, you know, by, by being able to sit in your house and listen to the, that record?
0: Right. I mean, that's just what we try to do. I, I am in awe of what you and your peers do because I can't do it. But as an A&R person, I've always gravitated towards the R. The repertoire, you know, which leads to the altar of the songwriter, yeah. which you know has been a shrine for me my entire career. You know,
1: I think I, I think sometimes our choices define what we what we do as opposed to what we can or can't do. I would guess that your your creative spark is is as powerful as as much more powerful than you probably imagine it is.
0: Well, I'm just thrilled that I get to be in the orbit and, <laughs> and help move it forward. You know, something about you that I find fascinating. I was talking to you before. Before we went live about some of the songwriters that we've had the privilege of of talking to on this program, people like Ambel and Huff and people like, um, you know, Jeff Barry and Barry Mann and Jimmy Webb. And I was thinking about you being born in Nebraska and Jimmy being born in Oklahoma, and the two of you having such a distinct style, very different from each other, but a very distinct style in your writing that could only singularly be you. What do you think it is about the Midwest? Um, I don't know. <laughs> do you, what, what are your memories well, I, of, of Nebraska you, well, and Omaha? What I,
1: think it, I, I think a lot of it is about authenticity, is about writing what you know. And, that, you know, there are, there are more Nebraska. Ultimately, we have the same set of emotional, you know, uh, uh, t- tools to deal with and to suffer from and, and to celebrate. And, you know, I, the, the, there's a classic story that I tell a lot about my brother that I think answers your, your question. My brother was a, uh, my little brother. He was he, he's my big little brother. He was six foot two. I'm five foot two. He was six years younger than me. When he came out, when I started having real success as a songwriter, Minner, who had played in bars when he was 16, always loved music, wanted to be a songwriter as well, and came out, and I got I helped him get a. Like a six-month starter deal at A and M Records, A and M Publishing, Elmo Music, and he listened to the radio uh, and listened to country and, and and was kept writing, writing, writing. Nobody would look at anything he wrote. I mean, it just it, nobody. It was like I don't think they got past the first verses, you know. And they were good songs, but there was just something missing. So he lost the deal, or was about to lose the deal. On a Monday, he was going to have to clean out his office. On a Saturday, he went into his office when when the lot A and M Records is on a lot it was absolutely empty. And he's sitting there in this in his office looking at the stuff he's got on the walls, realizes he's going to have to clean this out, and that his, you know the dream of being a, a big big writer at A and M is not happening. He's like really you know, he's confused, and he, get, he and it's pouring rain outside. And it's like he's sitting there, he picks up a pencil and a yellow pad, and he writes down, day after day, I'm more confused. Yet I look for the light and the pouring rain. And he writes, give me the beat, boys, and free my soul. I want to get lost in your rock and roll. And Drift Away wrote what I think is is a pure rock and roll anthem and a massive hit. Day after day, I'm more confused. Yet I look for the light through the pouring
0: rain. You know that's a game that I hate to lose,
1: and I'm feeling the strain. Ain't it a shame? Oh, give me the beat boys and free my soul. I wanna get lost in your rock and roll and drift. What was the difference between that moment and everything he'd written before, that it came from the center of his chest? And when he wrote this common suffering of, well, I missed it, wow, all of a sudden it came in. It, you know. It's
0: almost like when, you know, you have nothing left to lose, right? Oh, yeah. You know, that's when the raw truth comes out. Yeah. And the song you're talking about, Drift Away... Obviously made most famous by Dobie Gray in the early 70s, but we had a big hit cover of it here uh-huh. at Atlantic with Uncle Cracker.
1: Uncle Cracker yeah. was a huge – I got to tell you, I go, I have a, – there's a house in, in New Mexico that I'm enjoying very, very much. And Uncle Cracker was partially responsible. <laughs> there you go. Well, we, we, will th- we
0: will thank you, Matt, when we see you next. But uh, that was one of my first A&R gigs here was working with Cracker when I got to Atlantic 15 It was years
1: beautiful, ago. and it also was beautiful because it was inclusive of bringing Doby back and putting him on the record as well, which, which was a really sweet thing to do. And, yeah, so, so authenticity, you know, if you look at the shift in my writing from the success in the 70s when I was just writing – you know basically codependent love codependent <laughs> anthem like, you know, you know, I, I won't know, last a day I, without you is not a healthy thought I know that I know that I know that you know, like, let me be the one you run to you know it's like there's all these you know all these broken relationships or neediness you know made its way into the songs but they were they were true they were written from the center of my chest and people responded to it a lot of people feel like that once I you know when I started you know and I was drinking and using and, and you know I was drinking and using cocaine normally, <laughs> you know, just have a little taste every day, you know. And eventually, you know, I think that the, the, just as, the, the, you know, the, the drugs, the alcohol and drugs were addicting, so was the success and so was the attention. And I think I became as, as addicted to the camera being on me as anything else. And all of a sudden, you know, those elements gave me a certain level of confidence to, you know, to dive into the, the, my career. And there's a certain point where confidence turns into arrogance. I look at old footage of, of you know, some of the, you know, like in the the documentary, I look at footage of me just dead-eyed, you know, blanks, and then it's arrogant little ass. And it's just, and I go, why would anybody ever, ever want to hear anything from that person? So I started out writing from here, telling the truth, about, you know, and then I wound up up here writing stuff that was brilliant, you know, and if, and it's the, all that brilliant stuff is still in a drawer somewhere. Thankfully, nobody's been really
0: hearing. It. <laughs> you, you mentioned your brother, Mentor. You had another brother, who was. And, and it's so funny because a lot of times, you know, the music business we're like, well, it's not rocket science. Your brother was a rocket scientist.
1: Yeah, exactly. He had uh, he designed these self heating bolts on uh, I think on Apollo and Mercury. They, you know that uh, I mean, he goes. He was yeah. He was. At, at, brilliant big tall guy and and uh, he and Mitter both got sober as well but they never quit smoking right. and the smoking took them out Dude, right. if you're smoking stop, stop but your
0: brother john received nasa's highest honor uh, a medal in 1969 for his work uh in rocket science which yeah. i i didn't know i've known you for a while i never knew that um yeah. before now yeah
1: yeah yeah and died very very way 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 too young and really sweet sweet man you know and you know it's in that whole thing with our alcoholism was it was it's in our DNA. And right. my dad was was killed when I was thirteen in a car wreck, you know, an, an alcohol related single car accident. Right.
0: right. I mean, it really informs a lot of who you are, because after your dad died, you moved from Nebraska to California. And that's a whole nother life. You know, you've spent the first decade of your life in the Midwest, and now here you are out in Long Beach, you know, like you said, you are, what is the phrase, vertically challenged at, at, <laughs> at five foot two.
1: Yeah, I could run under coffee tables when I was nine. <laughs> know, so.
0: And and you you end up going to school in Long Beach. You probably got picked on as the small kid, right? Well, uh,
1: yeah, I went to nine schools by the time I was in the ninth grade because I was construction brat. When I was about eight years old, nine years old. They gave me, my dad pointed out that I was maybe we should take him to a doctor because he's so small. And they gave me shots of a country doctor in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I said I can make this kid grow. And he gave me hormone shots, male hormone, which is not a great thing to do because it closes off the bones because it kicks you into puberty. Right. So all of a sudden, I'm nine years old. I have no interest in my toy box or my toy chest. But uh, my aunt Edna's chest was something <laughs> pretty very exciting to me, you know. At nine and, years and, old, and yes. at nine years old, and, and all I want to do is go in the closet with the little girls and let's kiss like they do in the movies. Right. Kissing, wanting to kiss like they do in the movies, cost me a lot of money through the years. <laughs> uh, but we can but blame that, that, the doctor in New Mexico. It, yes, you know, blame the doctor in New Mexico for that. But you know, and probably for again, thank him for the career because that what happened is as soon as they saw this, they took me off the shots and everything, and it screwed up my body clock. So I didn't. Really he puberty till I was like 22, I right. think. So I go through high school with a body that looks like it's made out of cantaloupe. I mean, I'm just, you know, going, I don't care how big you make me, just cover me with fur. And, you know, it's just, you know. So I was an absolute outsider, just physically. I was like a little boy in in, a, in these sprouting young warriors, you know. And so I I think that, that there's a piece of me that that almost treasures that 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 was like you know one of the first things that that really really hit me and touched me in early sobriety was and and actually right right around the before was was Joseph Campbell's you know the power of myth and the hero's journey and I, and and there's something in that in the telling of that you know and the great series the TV series that he did you know with, with, around the power of myth that just let me embrace my own journey and saying, this is what it was like, you know. This is right here. There's a guy in recovery he goes, that's called a now. Did you miss it? Were you there? What were you thinking of? Are you here? Right, right there is where your life is. You can find that. So I could, when I do that, I find that, you know, the, there's a great movie called Arrival about, the few, about time. Watching that movie, I go, God, I, I want to embrace that kind of thinking where I stay here and let myself, you know, feel the essence of my past and hopefully my future. I mean, that's why I'm very Jiminy Cricket about my future. Right. You know, I I, I love – I could get hit by a beer truck tomorrow, but I'm 83 and, and uh, I would love another 20 years sure. as long as I'm walking around healthy.
0: Yeah, as, as long as you're inspired and living in the now, you don't know what today will bring, let alone tomorrow. That's right. Um you should be writing this stuff down, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the next self-help book uh, when I need it. But I, I love there are all these kind of random characters in the story of your life. Talk about Robert Duvall and his role. You you start acting and you oh, end that? up as as a bit player in a in a movie with Marlon Brando. Yeah. And talk about how Robert Duvall discovers you playing some music and what happens after that.
1: Well, it was it was a movie called The Chase, Marlon Brando, Robert Redford, uh, Jane Fonda, uh, 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 Robert Duvall, an amazing cast, an amazing big budget picture, shooting it mostly at night. There were four teenagers that are throughout the picture, but basically I think I have two lines in the movie, you know. He's going to need a better lawyer than your daddy. You know, you don't build a career on a voice like that. But I was like this, this, this kind of a, a, you know, as you say, essentially a bit part. But I was there, and I was sharing a dressing room with a guy named Mark Seaton, and Mark Seaton was dad was a big director, George Seaton. He had a gorgeous guitar, and I picked it up and was looking at it, and he said, "Don't touch that. That, you know, that's a." a, a Martin and I went I didn't know they had names and he said well, it's, it's a brand it's a Martin and put it down I put it down and went out and bought one of my own and I'm just basically watching them shoot there's, we're shooting this scene at night at the Fox Ranch where there's a junkyard that has been set fire by the teenagers and Robert Redford's character Bubba is hiding in this, this junkyard and I'm sitting on the steps of this little trailer that they've got the two of us in it's about the size of an outhouse and I'm just kind of amusing myself. I don't know, a D is called a D or a C is a C, but I'm finding things that sound like music. And I'm writing, and I so I'm just too much singing to myself. I go, bubba, 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 come out wherever you are. or we're gonna come in and get you. Yes, we're gonna come in and get you. And Robert Duvall walks by. And he says, well, what is that? I said, it's a guitar, I just bought it, you know. <laughs> He said, No, not the guitar. What what were you singing? I said, I just made it up. He said, Come with me. He walks me over to the director. And um
0: uh, director says, sure. was a famous director at the time, okay. Arthur Penn, right?
1: Arthur Penn, yeah. yeah, huge director. He'd, he'd just come in off of uh, Miracle Worker. So he says, Show him I said, it's a guitar, I just well, he said, Not the guitar. Jesus, you are a slow learner. Uh show him the song and I went, Bubba, bubba, bubba. God. I thought, I'm in trouble. Oh Good. my god, my you know uh, bub, 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 bub. I sing it. and He goes, light him up, light up the fires. Come over here, stand by the the barbed wire, and he shoots it. And he shoots it with me standing in, in the back of the the, the little Deuce Coupe we're all riding around in. And it's in the movie, sing so it it's like song. a billboard. It's like the universe is going. You know what? You may feel like Montgomery Cliff, but you look like Hayley Mills. You're not going to have. You're not going to have a career as a, as an actor. At least not now. But look at this. You'd write one little bit of a verse and it's in a major film. And so did I spot that billboard immediately? No. Two years later, I started writing. I mean, it it took that long for me to come around.
0: Is that when you met Biff Rose?
1: Yeah, exactly. I had been writing, you know, again, I had had, by then I had been sitting around in my in my pajamas, you know, writing songs all night and living with my mother. She was, you know, paying the bills. I brought her out to take care of her, and turned it the other way. <laughs> but I was I was hard. I was doing a, the Mort Saul local show as an improvisational actor, and I met Biff Rose and Biff, and I wrote a couple things. He had a a a a, a song that he just started. He had the first verse of the lyrics done, and he had the music done. And I jumped. He asked me to jump in because we'd written a couple other things, and we wrote. Fill your heart, which was recorded. He went to A and M Records. Basically, he went to AM Records, played him everything that he ever wrote, or a bunch of songs. They they liked him very much, and they liked the two or three that I had written as well. So I got a phone call that they wanted me to talk to me, and all. So they were looking for a, a, a lyricist for a, a brilliant composer named Roger Nichols, and I I just I, you know thank you, Biff Rose, because all of a sudden I'm there. I met Chuck Kay. Who was my publisher and legendary and, and, music publisher, legendary publisher, and and is responsible in many ways for that's why I love publishers because that was the man that gave me the life I have today. I feel so it you was know,
0: Biff Rose bringing you into A and and M introducing you to Roger Nichols, yeah. all under the aegis of Chuck. Kay. Yeah,
1: exactly. And, and here's what's so amazing is that then of course Chuck K goes out and it places the song or, or one of the song pluggers does with. Tiny Tim. Richard Perry's producing Tiny Tim. I got the B-side of Tiptoe Through the Tulips, so I get a big, 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 big check. Well,
0: let's talk about that for one second, because the way that music is monetized now is much different from the way that music was monetized then. So, (laughs) if you had the B-side of a million-selling single, yeah. you were making as much as the composer.
1: The mechanical fee was was exactly was exactly the same. And interestingly enough, with this record, it was such a big record with with, with Tiny Tim, they turned it over and they started, I started getting major performances as well. And, of course, I am totally uninformed. You know, I, I mean, I, I have—I um, just don't, don't really understand the way all this works. So I'm going, you know, like, oh, Tiny Tim. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, that's great, and Tiny sweet and everything. But I'm, I'm, I'm rock and roll. I'm white light and black leather. I'm, you know, I'm <laughs> none of those things, incidentally. But that's what I want, you know, I want rock and roll. And the way the universe works is amazing because t- the record by Tiny Tim comes out. Years later, who records it?
0: David Bowie. Fill your heart with love today. Don't play the game of time. Things that happened in the past only happened in your mind, only in your mind. Oh, forget your mind and you'll be free.
1: David Bowie on his Hunky door. First outside song he ever recorded. So I, through this channel... So you, I can't plan a life right. like the life I've had. I finally, about 30 years ago, stopped trying.
0: Well, that's the genius of songwriting is because once you create something, it's out in the universe, and you lose control a little bit of what journey this child of yours, this song, goes on, (laughs) Exactly. right? Because you've had songs obviously covered, recorded by some of the most iconic voices of all time, but then covered by the next generation of artists and then even sampled. You know, you had a big record with Miguel and Kendrick Lamar where they interpolated in their chorus, a song that you had written on their song, How Many Drinks? And, you know, here you are, the gift that keeps giving, you know, to a different generation.
1: You know, it's, it's the great gift of songwriting, and it's the great gift of, of what the PROs do as well. I mean, it's a great chance for me to mention ASCAP, which is as, has, I think, you know, been taking care of me since 1972, feet, you know, food on the table. Gas in the car, but not only that. Advocacy and and fighting for it's songwriters' like, rights. Yeah, exactly. Songwriters' rights and all. And you know, and it's magical and it's mystical. I mean, it's absolutely mystical how these connections happen
0: and the like. You know, so. You you mentioned ASCAP. You've been the president and chairman of ASCAP since two thousand nine, and a staunch advocate for you know for songwriters' rights.
1: The fact is, let's be really honest, you're talking to what is the – I'm basically the, the hood ornament of ASCAP. <laughs> there an, there's an engine named, named Beth Matthews and the most spectacular staff that works daily at, you know, around – and I don't think Beth sleeps. I don't think she sleeps. I get, I get, I get e- emails you know, that I look at the, the time stamp and I go, okay, that's 3.30 in the morning in New York. I'm in mean, it. was like, wait a minute but it it's it's a valiant fight and and it's a, 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 i think we're having great successes i think that i am actually sparkly about our future uh, because of the of the discipline and the determination and the passion in the chests of the people that are that are fighting the good fight and i think that our industry has the capacity and MMA the music monetization act proved it Orrin Hatch, you know, said, you know, don't come to us, you know, for your piece of the pie. With the Songwriters' Equity Act, which was the first thing we tried to get together, talked to Orrin Hatch and he said, you've got to come to us as an industry. And we did with the Music Modernization Act. I think we have to do the same thing with, with, with AI. Right. I think AI is the is the big deal, and ASCAP is out front with with this one, with six principles that are really good. You know, there's a guide to how to do this and make it be constructive for all of us. And that's again, that's Beth, the staff at ASCAP. It's like the juice is going. I start talking about this stuff. Now look what you did, Pete. <laughs> it's like I start talking about this stuff. I start thinking about you know, the young songwriter who's you know riding with the headphones on so they don't wake the the baby, whether it's he, she, or they, you know. And incidentally, ASCAP is is culturally we are we are a, a, this a mosaic uh, that reflects society. We are we have you know amazing women and and people of all of every stripe and and shapes and sizes.
0: How often do you encounter brand new songwriters who inspire you?
1: Oh my God! All the time, and I'm the worst thing that ever happened. If there's somebody's trying to talk their kid into staying in school, I'm like, Yeah, yeah, listen to your heart, follow that. I mean, I'm just, you know, uh, 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 I'm Dr. it's the best of all possible worlds. You, we need your music. I do get excited, and you know, and I, I did about, you know, a PTM was, you know, was a newcomer of about 16 years when I met all those guys. PTM Portugal, Demand, man. Yeah. The men, yeah. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's go back to the A&M lot in the early 70s, which just feels to me not having, you know, been old enough to appreciate it then, just a magical place, right? So you talked about how you met Roger Nichols and you and Roger start writing songs. And some of these songs, we've only just begun Rainy Days and Mondays, I Won't Last a Day Without You, all co-writes with Roger Nichols, all recorded and stamped for eternity by the Carpenters. Oh my God, you know, your life changes when an angel sings your words. And and so, how did that happen? Obviously, you were all part of this AM Records yeah.
1: universe. There were 28 of us on the lot. It's the old Chaplin Studios. It's a great lot. You know, I mean, it's just, it, it's really interesting when you're going to work in a building that you can see in a Charlie Chaplin film. <laughs> You're, oh my God! You see that window that Charlie's climbing in? That's my office. <laughs> That's you know? Amazing. Oh, it's just amazing. But of course, I mean, the 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 company was unique in the sense that the artist was the, was the 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 decider. I mean, if I wanted a, just a, a basically a almost obscene album cover, animated al- album cover, they would draw it up for me and look at it, and, and then I would sit down and, and eventually go, you're right, this was probably a much better idea to do your idea. Herb Alpert and Jerry Moss created something that you, you, your creative choices, you know, just actually bled into the business elements of it which is good sometimes and bad sometimes and all but but I produced my own albums where I kind of go what were
0: they thinking what were you thinking Paul well you you know as an artist you've made 11 studio albums yeah. which you know it just shows that that side of you is as potent and prolific yeah. as as you as an outside songwriter for yeah. sure so talk about how you first met the Carpenters. Oh, well,
1: first of all, you know, Roger and I were writing all these songs that were getting album cuts besides. And nothing we wrote was on the radio. We were making a great living as songwriters, which was new <laughs> for us. Uh, we'd been at it about three years, I think, and nobody knew who we were. And there was a knock on the door of Roger's office. We're in there working on a tune. The door opens. Chuck Hayes said, I want to in- introduce you to the A&M's newest newest artists. This is Karen and Richard Carpenter. And Karen and Richard Carpenter looked at us and, and he said, this is Roger Nichols and Paul Williams and they said, we love uh, the recording of Trust by the Peppermint Trolley. And, uh, and Steve Lawrence's Drifter is fantastic. And you and they're going. we're going, we're famous, oh my god. <laughs> they knew your songs. We, that was new to us. Right. it was like in the business, producers knew, A&R knew who we were and they knew that the songs were getting cut but nobody in the public or nobody, nobody that was not in the heart of the business really really knew we were not getting that kind of attention H- how old
0: were richard and karen at the time do you think oh my think?
1: god they were 7 and 9 i think <laughs> 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 they
0: were they were you know
1: i mean i was 29 so, and I think, you know, I think maybe 20, 21, 20. Uh, so
0: that must have inspired you and Roger oh because these artists, brand new artists, um, new signings to AM Records, they're fans of your songwriting. Not, you know, not the songs that they were hearing on the radio, but they knew the deep cuts, as they, they say.
1: Exactly. They, they knew. And, uh, and it was the perfect storm or, or the per, the perfect sunrise, in the sense, because we're right there and we know that everything we write is going to be played for them, you know. And they responded to it. The first thing they recorded was a song called I Kept On Loving You, and it was almost their second single at, at A&M. You heard this song before, I
0: can't deny it. The road was long and wide, I had to try it. Though I loved you, girl, these were things I had to do. through it all, I kept on loving you. I'm going good, I
1: will never leave. but there's this little ditty that Hal and Burt wrote was also recorded close you know close to you that's a pretty good song and I I went in I, well, I went in and they they wanted me to you know here's here's like here's I kept on loving you and we listened to it you know and they said here's close to you and we will put a you know like and we were we were the b-side right So it was a great... I mean, I had great... Tiny Tim, part two. Tiny Tim, exactly. Uh, Close to You, I had the B-side of I Am Woman. I had the B-side of... uh, I mean, Helen Reddy kept putting my songs on the back of her hits, and so I'd keep writing, and Kenny Asher and I finally wrote You and Me Against the World. Big song. You and me
0: against the world Sometimes it feels like you and me against the world. When all the others turn their backs and walk away, you can count on me to stay.
1: And that's something that doesn't get talked about very much. The artists that really, really help keep you in the business, uh, you know, Johnny Mathis cutting a lot, a lot of things, you know, through the years. And never a single, but just before we were known, Jack Jones, Jack recorded so many songs. We paid him back by asking him to sing the Love Boat theme, uh, or he paid us a little bit more by singing it, but, you know, so I had cuts by Elvis and, and... Ella Fitzgerald and Mel Torme, all, all these people, and, and they all added to the career, even though they were like little album cuts. Well, l-
0: let me add a few more names to that because I think you're selling yourself a little a little bit short there. Frank Sinatra, Elvis, Streisand, Ella, Ray Charles, Bowie, Tony Bennett, Luther Vandross, Willie Nelson, R.E.M., Gladys Knight, Diana Ross, you know, Gonzo. Kermit the Frog, you know, it keeps going. Let's go back to the carpenters because I think if you said to me, Pete, in your opinion, who is the greatest singer of all time? You know, it's it's either Aretha Franklin, Frank Sinatra, or Karen Carpenter. I mean, yeah. for me, it's like that's the yeah. that's the Mount Rushmore for me. So talk. I love the the we've only just begun story because it was originally written for a commercial. Exactly,
1: Tony Asher, great lyricist. Was hired to write a uh, commercial for the Crocker Bank in California, and he broke his his hand uh, skiing. So he called Roger and he said, "You know, said you know what? I'm on pain pills. I'm all, I feel loopy. I'm over like that, So I recommended you and Paul." So Roger comes to me and said, "We've been offered to write a commercial." For for this bank, and I said, I don't want to write a commercial for a bank. Will you? Well, <laughs> rock and roll, white line, <laughs> the usual pitch, you know. And he said, Well, there's a creative fee. I said, Let's write this commercial. You know? <laughs> and what they were doing was, was essentially a, what what would we would begin to describe as as a video. I mean, it was not a pitch. It was showing a young couple getting married, the kiss, the reception, riding off into the sunset. And it had one line. You've got a long way to go. We'd like to help you get there to the Crocker Bank. So Roger and I, in an afternoon, wrote We've Only Just Begun. Wrote the first two verses anyway in the bridge. And then we added uh, and we filled it out as a complete song just in case anybody wanted to record it. Understand that that was not something we really expected. The number one album at the time was in a de Vida, so this was we've only just begun was probably as far away from the, the commercial point in the horizon you want to ride towards as you can get but then an angel sang it and it's the only way I can describe it and when I heard it I mean I that boy I'm still I'm still at a loss for being able to describe what I hear when I hear her sing we've only just begun. To
0: live white lace and promises a kiss for luck and we're arms. We've only just begun Rainy Days and Mondays. I won't last a day without you. Just iconic recordings, iconic copyrights, and, and the you know, one of the most iconic voices of all time. Yeah, with Karen exactly. Schindler. Speaking of iconic voices, um, love soft as an easy chair, love fresh as the morning air. Your song, Evergreen, theme from A Star Is Born, won you the Oscar for Best Original Song and one Song of the Year at the Grammys. In the category of You Can't Make This Up, If you go to Spotify and you check the songwriting credits for Evergreen, Theme from a Star is Born, as of this morning, hopefully they'll hear it and fix it. But do you know who the songwriting credit is? Pharrell Williams. Oh, (laughs) good. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, well, you know what? Pharrell said such nice things about my songs, my, my cuts. As long as the on, checks are going to you, you it doesn't what, matter. You know what? But I swear to God, the nicest thing that anybody said about Touch was Pharrell. Pharrell. Pharrell said in an interview, "He's this is a song that they did with Paul Williams. It will not only change, it will change your life. I mean, what a fantastic talent, whatever like That's that. That's the that Daft you know, Punk so, song, But, you know, yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, the thing is that the, the universe should balance it and send me. <laughs> Some frills,
0: check. yeah. They probably, you know, hopefully, <laughs> universe. If you're listening, oh well, yeah. T- talk about the creation of Evergreen.
1: Oh, oh my God. Well, you know what? That just not, it doesn't happen every day that you get a phone call and, and I got a phone call. I was being fitted for a tuxedo. I don't remember why, but it was... and like so it was it was probably you know the, that moment when they're checking the inseam and my wife walks in and she says it's Barbara Streisand and I went Barbara Streisand. Yeah, hi, hello. <laughs> the thing is, we don't have to give up our fan card to do what we do for a living, so I would assume you have the same reaction I do with certain people. You walk into the room and you go, oh, my God. But she said basically uh, that uh, I love. she loved You and Me Against the World. There is a song at the end of A Star is Born uh, that she finds that John Roman Howard has written that, is, that she sings at the end after he's gone. I'd like to have something like that, You know, that was Kenny Asher and I. That's not what I heard. What I heard is, I'd like you to write all the songs for Star Born. So I'd show up, and they'd send me a script, and I'd show up with, like, n- notes about, like, all through what kind of, you know, what the band might be like, what, just a lot of thoughts and everything, and I'd show up at her house with, with and, and meet with her and, and uh, John Peters. She had recorded a couple of my songs before on, on album cuts, and... Uh, and anyway, I shared my ideas, and they said, "Can we have a moment?" And I went in the other room. And I thought, "I'm about to be kicked out, whatever." Anyway, that she uh, said, "You know, that's not what we ask you to do." But you know, and John Peter says, "You're not intimidated, are you?" And I said, "No, not at all." Which of course I was lying through my teeth. Probably, I don't know. At that point in my life, I was pretty confident. At any rate, so so uh, you know, I was I was brought in. I said, "I really want to bring Kenny Asher in." And she thought that was a good idea. The, on the, the new album, the Streisand Evergreens, she re-recorded Evergreen, but she also put Answer Me on, which is a song Kenny and Barbara and I wrote, which I love hearing her sing that song. It was an amazing task. You know, I mean, we literally had, I forget how many weeks, like 10 weeks or something to basically come up with a score. So, uh, the first thing I did was was deal with with Kristofferson's songs because they were going to be shot first. She kept saying, "When are you going to write my song?" When you? And she, just the amazing moment that I can close my eyes and be there right now as her uh, as we're ending up one of our, our first, very first meetings, she says, "Do you think you could do anything with this?" And she picked up a guitar, and she, which she's just learning to play. And it's searching for the chords. And she's going, <Civilians Spanish> da, da 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 da-da-da. Da-da-ba-da-dee-da-da-da.
0: Oh, wow, care? so the melody see, idea see, actually, actually came from her. Playing
1: play me the melody, and I wow. went, she says, can you do anything with that? I went, oh, my God, are you kidding? there's your love theme. That's beautiful. No. Soft as an easy chair Love fresh as the morning
0: That's crazy because she's not really known as a songwriter. She's known no, as a vocalist. She, it
1: was, that was, I think that was her first shot, you know, and she won the Oscar for it. And she mentioned that that she's I can't believe I won, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> anyway, so uh, so I, I, I wrote, you know, the others, and and, and I, there's it's interesting because there, the song that I thought was going to burst out of the picture. Was uh, uh, with, uh, with One More Look at You, which she sings at the end in a performance that is just is absolutely stunning. You know, the, it's just remarkable. But The universe had other ideas. It, exactly. I, you know, incidentally, I wrote it, love fresh as the morning air, love soft as an easy chair. And I called. I was getting ready to go on the road with Olivia Newton-John for six weeks. And I called from the airport. Get, we're getting on a starship. You know, we're flying private. We're living high on the hog. But I called her and I said, you know what? Those first two lines, sing. I think, sing better the other way. They may laugh us out of town for starting a, a song with a line about an easy chair, but love soft as an easy chair, love fresh as the morning. And morning sings better there. So let's, what about switching? She said, great idea, click. Or, or, you know, it was like she was busy. Yeah, and then it just all hell broke loose. It was great.
0: Amazing. Um, and you. You know that started this incredible relationship with you and visual media, whether it's motion pictures or television. Talk about the Rainbow Connection.
1: Well, I, you know, I had written most of the, a bunch of the songs for Stars Born with Kenny Asher, and when I had, had done one major project with with Jim Hansen at uh, it, it, uh, a one-hour special called Emmett Otter's Band Christmas, which I just left the rehearsals in Chicago. We opened in New York, to great reviews uh, on stage with Emmett, got closed by COVID like everybody else did, but now we're in Chicago for this, for a six-week run, and we'll be back in the city. Uh, but I had this great relationship with Kenny because of, of the stuff in, in Stars Born, whatever. And when... I think Emma Datta was the, was my audition for the Muppet movie, and when Jim talked to me about the Muppet movie, I said, "You know what? I really want Kenny to come in and do this with me." And we just we wanted to write. Our inspiration was was probably uh, "When You Wish Upon a Star." I mean, back when, to Jiminy Cricket. Oh my, Jiminy Cricket <laughs> gets up in the in the skylight, takes off his hat, looks at the night sky, and sings, "When you wish upon a star." Makes no difference who you are. I mean, it's just, but bang, bang, done. It's just it opens, it's mic like... Mic drop, as it's they say. Just <laughs> like mic drop, but it's just like, that was the sound of my heart opening. So we sat down and we, and we wrote, incidentally, we wrote ourselves into an amazing... Noah's a gift in my life, again and again. But we wrote ourselves into a, a, just an awful corner. You know, know, we sat down and we started it with love. We started it with, uh, why are there so many? Songs about rainbows and what's on the other side. Rainbows are visions, only illusions. Rainbows have nothing to hide. Oh, Jesus. Oh, (laughs) oh, 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 God. Damn, wait. And we just absolutely just denied any magic at all in in rainbows and any mysticism. Rainbows have nothing to hide. But look what it does. Kermit goes from being the, the the mentor, the wise, you know, up at the lectern, to becomes a member of the audience. So we've been told, and some choose to believe it, I know they're wrong, wait and see, someday we'll find it. You know, and it's just, you know, it was one of those things that we never, ever thought to do, would never have thought to do that, but the process led us to it, you know. So we've been know their wrong Wait and see someday we'll find it the rainbow connection the lovers the dreamers and me you know you were asking earlier why do i stay so enthusiastic about it it's the it's the surprises. It's the you're sitting down to write something with you know, with somebody that you've never met before, and you start with a bad idea, and that reminds them of something. It's a bad idea, and you say something else, and then they say something. And you go, Oh Jesus, oh my, oh, that's why we're here, and that beautiful somebody's whispering to us moment. Is is uh, there's fuel in that for me for a, a, a thousand songs?
0: How long did it take you guys to to write from beginning to end to write the Rainbow Connection?
1: We wrote the song pretty quickly, except we could not come up with a title. Someday we'll find it. La 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 la. The was the dreamers. We were sitting at the dinner table. My wife Katie at the time was you know she, is, is feeding us. And we went somebody went, And she said, "What do you guys? What do what, what you, you? You guys have both got frowns on your face. What's going on?" Someday we'll find. We're looking for. A, uh, there's a there, there's a rainbow and there's a connection to people around. The, uh, so it's like the connection of rainbow and people. That, that, and, and she said, "So you're looking for the rainbow connection?" And we went, "Oh my God, that's it!" She said, "You've said it 16 times. You know, <laughs> you're not hearing right yourself. in front of your face. Yeah, right in front of your face. You know, so." Uh, but you know it's just it's uh, you know it's 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 uh, it's one of those blessed moments when when uh, it's a hollow bone moment you know the older i get the, the more faint my own signature on the sheet music is right. to me i'd go you know what you know i'm convinced that, that i don't know if it's harry nilson or there's there's some major major voices up there that i feel sometimes like Maybe are, are helping.
0: That's amazing. Um, I love the story that you've told me in the past about Jim Henson actually recording Kermit's vocal of Rainbow Connection, yeah. and he wasn't getting it right.
1: Well, it, it, there was. Some, I, it, it wasn't that it wasn't right. It was. It was, it was just. Yeah, you're right. It wasn't good. It, it, There was something that just in in the rhythm of you know, and the song incidentally is written in in Kermit speak. Why are there so many? Songs about ringing bells. I mean, it's the natural thing would have been "ba ba ba dee da dee da," which is what Richard wanted to do, incidentally, with it, uh, Richard Carpenter when he recorded it. But at any rate, yeah, I we should, we recorded it at, at a little studio called Music Recorders Incorporated. Great guy named Gary Olmer who was the owner and, and, and engineer, and there was there was just you know, and, and I, I realized that I, I needed Kermit instead of and. Jim went and got Kermit and said, Would you be more comfortable? And we put up a little thing for him to have, and he had Kermit, and he sang it. And it was like just straight through. So
0: originally it was Jim Henson singing the Rainbow Connection, yeah, but ultimately it was, it was Jim Henson as Kermit singing the
1: Rainbow Connection. Yeah, so yeah, well, he was singing as Kermit, but he was not singing as Kermit. Right. Once Kermit was with him, there was, you know. <laughs> I mean it's just it's, You can't make this stuff up No you can't make this stuff
0: up But I would you know? it's Some of the other hits That you had in the 70s You know A, a run of hits With Three Dog Night An old fashioned love song Which you wrote 100% Just an old fashioned love song Coming down Country, Family of Man. We mentioned You and Me Against the World with Helen Reddy, co-write with with Kenny Asher. But back to television for a second. You mentioned earlier Jack Jones. I remember as a kid, every Saturday night, it was appointment viewing at 9 o'clock was The Love Boat and The Love Boat started every week with the theme, sung by Jack Jones, written by you.
1: Yeah. Charlie Fox called me and and Charlie and I, I don't don't know if Charlie and I had already done one-on-one. Robbie Benson. Come on. Yeah. We had not seen an episode when there had been a TV movie that uh, you know that uh, that Charlie had done and uh, before the, the we just didn't think it was a great idea. I mean, to tell you the truth, it, because we hadn't experienced the magic of the cast. I mean, those guys were great. They were it was great fun. But so we wrote the song you know, uh, and uh, he wrote the music first. I write the lyrics. Called Jack Jones and actually said to Jack, "Jack, you know this may not last six weeks, but we just sang it, and it rat, and it was first run eleven years, the first time, and then it was back again, and all and and he just, I mean, it's. Have you seen the commercial for Princess Cruises with, with the love boat theme? No, it's the it's one of the best and it's for a songwriter. Think about how this makes me feel. It's a commercial. that opens with a beach scene and like a kind of a heavy yeah, a guy. Sitting in a wood chair, and he's looking at at something on, uh, out on the water, and you cut to his view, and it's cruise ship, and he goes, "Love, exciting and new," and a woman walking by goes, "Come aboard, we're and it's just everybody starts singing." <laughs>
0: Something for everyone. Set a course for adventure. Your mind
1: on a new romance. Like just ingrained in the the what a gift! What a gift for a songwriter. It's a great gift for a songwriter. Not to mention the licensing. You
0: know, (laughs) (laughs) we'll take that too. Yeah. So. With with all of this music that you're composing for film and television, you're also, going back to your 1965 Robert Redford, Robert Duvall moment, you're continuing to act. And with all these incredibly iconic copyrights that you've written, some people don't even know... That you've done that, they know you as Little Enos from from Smokey and the Bandit,
1: <laughs> or Goliath with Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, yeah, I just spent two years with Billy. Or Bob. Virgil
0: from Battle of the Planet of the. Apes.
1: Virgil from Battle, exactly. Or you know, or Swan.
0: Right, uh, the evil Swan.
1: That's all I wanted to do. I mean, I really wanted to act. It's you know, I'm I'm still an out of work actor. I love it when the phone rings.
0: You know, I love it when the So corner. you enjoy doing Goliath?
1: With I do, Billy? and I think that I write. I, 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 there's part of me that inhabits writing Writing for, especially when it's, you know, for like right now, you know, Guillermo del Toro and Gustavo Santolai and I are, are back a- after a break through the pandemic, back working on Pan's Labyrinth for the stage. So for me, writing... I mean, the the best example, or the, the to me, the the most immersed as an actor in the songwriting for a film, for me, was Ishtar to write for. You know, for Chuck and Lyle, these two mismatched songwriters, you know. To Uh,
0: purposefully write bad
1: songs. Writing bad songs. (laughs) uh, Telling the truth can be dangerous business. (laughs) Honest and popular don't go hand in hand. If you admit that you can play the accordion, no one will hire you for a rock and roll band. I mean, it was, yeah, bad songs. Yeah. Or my favorite, she said, come look, there's a wardrobe of love in my eyes. Take your time, look around, try to find something yourself. <laughs> you
0: know, it's, it's it's probably very hard to write a bad song. You know what?
1: It, it it it's really interesting and again get out of the way, you know, let let the energy pass through you.
0: You've also done voice acting. You were the penguin in the Batman
1: You Flying show. Rodent. Yeah, I was yeah, <laughs> yeah I, yeah, I and we've lo- God, we've lost some of the guys that w- it was so great to work with. Kevin, who played Batman, and it's interesting because you know I do, I I do, and I I never sold an autograph or or a picture to anybody in my entire life. And and uh, there's a friend of mine who who does Comic Con and all and all these things. He said, you know, you can do it. Meet your fans, hear their stories. Uh, and I don't call them friends. I call them friends. Uh, And you can use the money, give it to recovery. So, so that's what I'm doing. I also have the Sunlight of the Spirit Awards through ASCAP's foundation and it's a, you know, it's a, I'm looking for a loophole basically. What we're doing is looking for a loophole I'm going, you see how I've changed a big amigo, you know.
0: Amazing. But, um, uh, you yeah. know, to, to, to bring it full circle as, as we wrap up, you know, I'd love to go back to your work as, as a songwriter and a songwriter's advocate. You and I know each other from the work that you do on the Songwriters Hall of Fame. In 2022, you received the Johnny Mercer Award, the Song Hall's highest honor. How was how that for a songwriter to receive the highest honor from the Songwriters Hall of Fame? Just unbelievable. I mean, just unbelievable.
1: Uh, I mean, Johnny Mercer was, I met him once. I met him once. It's funny because, were you there when I hear my, my, yes. hear my acceptance yeah. speak? For years I've told the story of Johnny Mercer saying something to me when I met him across the room. That the more I thought about it, the the more I was convinced that I may have augmented what what I, you know, what I heard was, I actually thought I heard it, but after many, many, many years, I got to the point where I go, you know what, I may have been lying to these people all these years about Johnny Mercer. What I thought he said was, you know, when I said I was Paul Williams, he went back in, into, a, into a, a booth to do some mixing, stuck his head out, and he went, you know, I thought he said Paul Williams. What I've got they used to call the blues, that Paul Williams? And I went, yeah, and he had a weird look on his face. Uh, that Yes, that's me, and I think I misheard him. Well, I, pulled, I, I decided that the perfect place to clean it up was while I was accepting the award for the charter, which is what I did. And it's, it's, you know what, it's my life coming together in a moment like that where I can take that moment, which is so dear and wonderful and amazing and, and, and impossible to imagine happening, and clean something up You know, at, at, a, at a level that is just a perfect match. At Betty Ford, before when before I was sober, I stood on stage and, and I lied about being sober to, to the audience at, at Betty Ford's. And then I went back when I was about four years sober with Dinah Shore, and we did a, a big thing there, and and. Uh, I made an amends to Mrs. Ford from the stage. I said, you know, I was lying to you. And she said to me later, oh, yes, dear, I knew. <laughs> you know? so, so the fact is that we can, we can learn, we can grow, we can clean up these things and all and just stay grateful. I mean, that to me that, you know, gratitude and generosity, you know, are, are what this ride's all about.
0: Well, speaking of gratitude, you wrote a book called Gratitude and Trust, Six Affirmations That Will Change Your Life.
1: Tracy Jacks is a dear friend, a great writer, and uh, I, I met her uh, in in Robert Mitchum's bedroom, and we were we were high as a kite. And she walked in, and she said, uh, "I love your music," and I just said something really rude, like, "I hope it, you know, it, you know, got you, you know." Anyway, it was just it was just arrogant, flippant, and she walked out of the room like so much for meeting your heroes, and she walked out of the room a big Neil Diamond fan. I think is the way she describes it. But she met me when I was ten years sober, and I was different, you know. And uh, the the arrogant little prick that she met up in in, in uh, Montecito, uh, who loved to hang with Robert Mitchum, because I was going to be about they, that put me in rehab twice. <laughs> uh, all of a sudden was 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 living, you know, had had found a a, a way of life that. That is just the greatest gift I've ever been given. It's what I'm always... I, I'm very open about my recovery. I don't mention the name of the organization by name that saved my life, but you can find them in the front of the phone book. And uh, when the the, the documentary, Pauline was still alive, came out, she was like... She was there, and I I talked about the fact that my choo-choo runs on the twin rails of gratitude and trust. And she said, you know, there's, there's, there's a book there. Which because for years people would ask me you know why don't we have some for those of us that are not alcoholics why don't we have something like what you have to 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 guide your lifestyle so we wrote something i mean she's an amazing she rides nine hours a day i write two and a half and most of the time i'm talking about let's get lunch (laughs) uh but it was you know it got us on we wound up the day that it was published on super soul sunday with oprah but, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it was just it was one of those moments. You're sitting there with Oprah and you're going, how the hell did I get here? A, a, lot, a lot of very generous people like Tracy.
0: Oh, I'd love to wrap up with a, one of your lyrics that you've been quoted as saying. You know, this lyric that you wrote for another film, Bugsy Malone in the 70s, sums up your philosophy of life. You give a little love and it all comes back to you. You're going to be remembered for the things that you say and do.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, it's my philosophy. I mean, it's uh, as simple as the phrase is, and uh, the, I think that that what touches me more than anything else in in the human character. I think I said it before, is the elegance of kindness. The people that that are you know when, when I when I found my my tribe in in recovery, the first thing I felt was safe, and. It was it was a non-judgmental reception uh, with a warmth that uh, that I feel right here, right now. I, I, I sit down with you and and, and f- you know feel exactly that. It's as good as it gets, you know. So th- that's what I respond to. I hope that that's always you know my first sponsor in in recovery uh, used to say, "How are you treating the world today, Paulie?" And I was like, don't you mean, how's the world treating me? He said, no, he said, I don't give a rat's bottom about that. He said, but I'll tell you this. If you are vigilant about the way you treat the rest of the world, everything in your life will get better. And he was right.
0: Amen. Well, that's a, a great way to wrap this up, Paul Williams. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Pete. Thank you. Tell me where, what to go one.
1: Tell me where Where does go know oh, there's something missing Tell me where Where do I go
0: from here? Where I from here? A very special thanks to today's guest, Paul Williams. It's not often we get the chance to hear the stories behind such a colorful career that so heavily has shaped pop culture starting in the 1960s, and one that is still resonating all over the world today. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another episode of Rock and Roll High School. Rock and Roll High School is a presentation of pure tone music in association with Warner Music. Produced by Pete Ganbarg, with assistance from Craig Rosen, Ron Robinson, Joe Pomerico, Kelly Sayer, Chris Costello, Willie Fastenow, Catherine Hoppy, Kayla Flores, Zach Kornhauser, and Rich Mahan. Please visit our website at rockschoolpodcast.com for more info on past and future shows. All rights reserved. Rock, 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 rock on high school.